It's Friday, April the 10th. We're studying 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's go back to our text and see where we've been here. Verse number 5, we have talked about making every effort. We're talking about sanctification, of course, dealing with uh, things that were going to be added to our faith, like virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If these things, these qualities are yours and increasing, there's again a reminder we're talking about sanctification, making every effort that's variable depending on where you're at in your Christian life, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which of course there are some that it's completely unfruitful. They just sit in church and there's no effect, there's no salvation, there's no sanctification. Whoever lacks these qualities, we saw last time, is nearsighted, so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he's cleansed from his former sins. So there's one of the negatives. Now here's our verse for today. Therefore, brothers, here's what this whole passage is about. Be all the more diligent. We've already seen how. Here's how we do it right here. Make every effort. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, practice, all about doing, uh, you will never fall. So we're going to try and unravel this passage, but let's start in verse number 10 here with this phrase, be all the more diligent, and maybe we can start with this word, more. Uh, there's a biblical word that we need to take seriously, and today we need to take that simple exhortation and say we need to be more diligent about this more. So I don't know how diligent you've been. I don't know where you're at in this as it regards these kinds of uh, of aspects of spiritual growth. I don't know how much effort you're using, but we ought to do it more. That's what this passage is calling for. More effort, more diligence, more application of God's word. Again, if you just are breaking into this message, it's not in any way detracting from the grace of God that is at work in our lives. All of grace in salvation and really all of grace in sanctification in the sense that God is enabling us. He's at work in us, both the will and the work, but it means our effort. We're making every effort to add to our faith, and that takes diligence. And whatever level of diligence, let's just take that simple exhortation to heart. Let's let's up it. Let's do more. Maybe this whole COVID-19 thing that's kind of changed our entire schedules will help us say we're, we need to do more. Whatever we're doing, we're going to go to the next level. And then this word here, diligent, to be diligent. That's a great word about what we need to be in so many areas of life. It's about our focus. That word is a great word to be uh, eager, to be zealous, to have a readiness to expend effort. Here's a passage that you're familiar with. Uh, it's um, important that uh, we recognize, before we get to that passage, I guess we're going to look at this text here. <laughs> Sorry, got ahead of myself. First Timothy chapter 4, uh, I just want to note that I want to note that the idea of being diligent to make your calling election sure is something that is even, um, it's even uh, commanded to pastors. Here's Pastor Timothy. I don't want to miss this cross-reference here. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, uh, he talks about practicing the things that he's been talking about in chapters 3 and 4 of First Timothy, uh, and even looks a lot like our passage, to immerse, different words, but immerse yourselves in them, so that all may see your progress. Talk about sanctification is a progressive thing, and in terms of his preaching and his godliness. And he says, keep a close watch on yourself, 
This is the stuff that you're doing, the, the application of God's word and on the teaching, the things that you're actually proclaiming and preaching from the, from the pulpit. Again, here's some more words that, that speak to effort. Persist in this, for, so, uh, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Now, this causes a lot of trouble for, your, for people. What do you mean? If you're persisting in this, you'll save both yourselves, yourself rather, and your hearers. Now, here's Paul basically saying what we're finding in this passage. To make our calling and election sure is something that even a pastor in a pulpit trained by the Apostle Paul himself is being called to make sure that he is saved. And the persistence in these things, the progress in these things, the moving into another level of spiritual growth is a reminder and and a confirmation of our salvation. The teaching, of course, as it's out there, clearly is used by God to save people. And this close watch on who he is and what he does and how he progresses in the spiritual life, again, another reminder that all of us should be, as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examining ourselves to see if we're of the faith. This is, No one is beyond this. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been following Christ, how much you know, how many seminary degrees you have. We need to be diligent in making our calling and election sure. Uh, so good. Now, the idea of persistence. This is where I thought I was going a minute ago first, but let's look at it here now. Do your best. This is the same Greek word as we find in our passage where it says that we are to um, uh, be more diligent. We need more of this, doing the best we can to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed who is rightly handling the word of truth. Now, we think about the pastor here in this text. Timothy is the preaching pastor at uh, Ephesus. He needs to be handling the word properly as a good teacher. But in this text here, you, again, you see that word about effort. You see that word about uh, readiness and eagerness to work. And he's to be a workman uh, who can handle the word of God well, and he's to be giving his all to this, doing his best to present himself as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, that's our Awana verse, to do our best, uh, to, to provide effort. And that is what our passage is calling for. And, and what does it do? It makes our calling and election sure. Uh, make it sure, make it firm, make it certain. By the way, look at the word. Let's go back uh, a couple of texts here, back to um, our text. This this word right here, uh, to be all the more, in verse number 10, all the more diligent to confirm uh, your calling and election. Um, that that concept of confirming here, uh, this is a, a word that uh, should remind us of the fact that we're not confirming it to God, uh, we are confirming it uh, to ourselves. And one reason we know this is the grammar of this word right here. I know I'm making a mess of this screen, but uh, to confirm, it's it's in a middle voice uh, in Greek, a, a present middle infinitive verb to um, to to make this in our lives uh, firm, to to make it to confirm it is to to have that sense that I'm making this sure to me. I need that assurance. I need to be sure. Uh, Back to the passage that I was just in here. You know this Awana verse. Get a clean screen of it here. Uh, when it says he is supposed to present himself, do his best to present himself, same Greek word. Here we have the things that he should avoid. And we'll look at this now. Irreverent babble, it'll lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk spreads like gangrene. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, they had swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection had already happened. They were bad teachers, false teachers. They're upsetting the faith of some. Okay. Now, well, we need to be sure they're saved, right? Well, look at this next verse, verse 19. 
It says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. So we know that there's no doubt. We're not confirming any of this to God. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. This whole passage is about making every effort to add to our faith so that we can make our calling and election sure. We're making it middle voice, middle passive, uh, uh, infinitive. We're not a passive. It's a middle voice. that It's reflexive. It's so that we are making sure to ourselves. The Lord knows those who are his. And how do we make it sure? Well, this phrase is echoing the, the concept here. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Your progress in escaping the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires and reflecting more of that uh, divine nature as it's renewed in the image of its creator, as we saw from Colossians, that picture of progress is the thing that gives us that certainty. The more we see progress in these areas of faith and self-control and brotherly love and, and, and steadfastness, these are the things that show us, they prove to us that we're sure. If you've had doubts in your Christianity, you've been wondering about where you stand with God, it's that spiritual progress that is not just sitting passively by, but making every effort, being diligent in these things, uh, those are the kinds of things that prove to us and settle our own hearts that we're Christians. If you are seeing progress today in your Christian life in terms of these kinds of biblical virtues, and it's better than it was, and it's more fruitful than it was a year ago or two years ago, you're seeing that progress, that fruitful multiplication of these godly things in your life, that's an assurance. That's the kind of thing that lets you know what God already knows. And this passage, God knows those who are his. So we're not making it sure and certain to God or in reality. You either are saved or you're not, but we're making this sure to ourselves. So um, back to our text, to confirm your calling and election, making it sure to yourself. Calling and election, by the way, we could get way off into this and I don't want to, but the idea of what these words mean, these are truthful uh, words of our lives. They're either It's either true or not that I'm called and elect or I'm not. I'm trying to make this certain in my own mind and confirming that to myself uh, by the growth in my spiritual life. But, but calling and election, really one sequentially precedes the other. Right? The election is, simply means God's choice, God's choice to save us. Now, Romans chapters 9 through 11 deal with God's uh, calling. And in chapter 11, it talks about his calling. Just to quote one text here, verse 29, the calling of God is irrevocable. God doesn't call and then not call and change his mind about it. He's not moving in and out of this. Uh, you're either called or you're not. And an election, I think, in this particular context is uh, synonymous, almost synonymous. There are shades of distinction between these, but very frequently used words, this particular form only, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 times, but the root of it and the verbal form of it all over the place in the New Testament, that we are called by God and we are elect by God, that God has chosen us. Matter of fact, in the previous verse, Romans chapter 11, verse 28, it says, that as it regards the gospel, speaking of the nation of Israel, they're enemies for your sake. They don't understand and accept and embrace Christ as the Messiah, at least not now. But as it regards election, God's choice of that nation and those people, the descendants of Abraham, well, they're beloved. God's love rests upon them, not salvific love in an individual's life, but the fact that God is still got his covenant people, and he's going to bring them to a place of uh, 
of conversion in that last generation when all the fullness of the Gentiles come in, it says in Romans 11, then he's going to bring them into the fullness of all the detailed promises of the old covenant regarding the kingdom. And the point is simply this, calling and election used back to back in Romans 11, 28 and 29 is the same kind of parallel we have here. As God calls the nation of Israel out from the other nations, he sets his love on them and he chooses to love them, not because they were good or better or bigger or stronger, but because he just chooses to do so. Reflects the individual calling and election of God in our lives. And what we're trying to do is to be certain of that. And some people think, is this a passage that's te teaching salvation by works? Of course it's not. It's just saying that this is the thing that confirms in your heart the reality that you are called and elect. Which by the way, just as long as we're on this word, if someone says, do you believe in election? There's no way not to believe in election. This word is used all over. This particular form is used, I think, seven times in the New Testament. Um, we are elect. Election is something that is a reality. How we sort that out in our theology may be a debate among people and theologians, but the idea of being elect and called, that's what is true of every Christian. They are elect and they are called. We all have to believe in election because it's a biblical concept. It's like talking about the rapture. We all believe in the rapture. The question people debate is the timing of it because the Bible teaches the rapture. You can't ignore the reality of it. And the question is, when does it happen? And in this case, election and calling, those are biblical doctrines. What we're trying to do in this passage is understand where we, where we are. Are we called and elect? Our progress in sanctification makes the difference. Let me end with this. If you can go back to the screen here in 1 John chapter 2, I want to just affirm the reality of the fact that there's going to be sin in your life to say, oh man, I sinned last night. I sinned last week. I had some big problem in my life. Well, it doesn't mean you're not saved. Look at this passage. It starts with this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. I mean, that's why the scripture is there exhorting us. Uh, but if anyone does sin, now we're talking about people that were the spiritual progeny or the offspring of the apostle John. I mean, these are Christians in the church, and he's just talked about the fact that if you say you're without sin in the bottom of chapter one, well, you're lying. Of course, every Christian's going to sin. Uh, and when you do sin, if anyone does sin, of course we will. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the good news is I can trust in the fact that that advocate is the propitiation, the satisfaction of the payment of my sins for our sins, not only for ours only. Uh, John says the, the Jewish apostle here, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, both the Gentiles as well. Many of his, um, in his audience, of course, were Gentiles. Verse three, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, wait a minute. You just said here that um, you want me not to sin, but I am gonna sin. And when I do sin, thankfully, I've got an advocate with the Father. Well, of course, we're not talking about perfect, sinful perfection. We're talking about the fact that that's the pattern of the Christian life, and we wanna see more of it. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, can't be perfectly, obviously. He's made that clear in chapter one, made it clear in verse number one of this passage. It says, um, well, he's a liar, the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So the more we're doing this, which takes effort, obviously based on God's grace, but we're moving forward in the Christian life, well, then by this we know that we're in him. That's the assurance. That's the making our calling and election sure. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to, and John likes this word as well as Paul, peripateo, to walk in the same way in which he walked. We want to see the things that are in this passage, right? Think about the list again. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These are the things that need to be expanding. So Christians can sin, 
But then there's a difference here at the end of the chapter. Look at 1 John chapter 2 here. Children, it's the last hour. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, right? And there is an Antichrist, a particular person. But now many Antichrists have come, right? They look religious. They look like they're among us. But he says, for we know it's the last hour. We're in that last period between Christ's ascension and Christ's return. And they, these people that are now against Christ, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, really organically Christians, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So the difference between a real Christian and a phony Christian is the fact that there's that increasing sanctification that continues on. And that's the calling of our passage to make our calling and election sure by the effort we expend in our sanctification. You and I are going to sin. That is cause for concern. But as we get back up, we confess our sins, we repent, we move forward, we see progress. It gives us that assurance. You ought to be all the more diligent to make that calling and election sure. And as you see these things increasing uh, in your life, these qualities that were listed, uh, you can have that increased assurance. So that's our study for today. First uh, John chapter one, I'm sorry, second Peter chapter one in verse number 10. And uh, next time we get together, we'll move on to the next verse. It's been good to get through this list and see how this list ties together. There's some more verses that are coming up that deal with that. I can't wait to get into those. So be sure to comment and subscribe, and we'll be back to you next time to continue our study through 2 Peter chapter 1.